Welcome to How Did You Manage That, a podcast which you probably know by now is where myself, Ali, and her, Sophie, talk to music managers about their journeys, the highs, the lows, and every single bit of detail in between. This is a podcast about young managers doing it right now. They're breaking new acts through new school methods, be it streaming, social media, even stuff like TikTok, sometimes without a label in sight. Either way, they all have a story to tell, lessons to share, and most importantly, an undeniable passion and dedication to the artist and their music. So this week, we've got a really interesting one for you. Sophie spoke to a manager who really does look at things in quite a different way. He looks at the business in an incredibly calculated and calm and almost third-person perspective. Uh, It's Danny Desai, manager of writer-artist Dio. You might know Dio from that track that you could not get out of your head a couple of years ago. It's Sexual by Naked. You know that one that goes, I'm feeling sexual. So we should be sexual. Oh God, Ali, there's a reason I'm behind the scenes in music, isn't there? (laughs) It went on to be a huge, huge hit in its own right, but was also used in a huge Maroon 5 and Scissor song called What Lovers Do. Danny also manages the artist AM, who is independently smashing it right now, and the writer-producer Maestro. Danny has so many interesting takes and tips in this interview on his journey so far, and I'm sure it's going to be a journey that lots of people can relate to. Right, so here we are, uh, recorded in the offices of our brilliant sponsors, AWOL, in London. This is Sophie chatting to Danny all about how he managed that. So I'm here today in the Colbert offices. They've very kindly lent us their offices to do this record. And I am joined by the lovely Danny Desai. Hi, Danny. Hello. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Danny is a manager and he manages uh, an amazing artist slash songwriter called Dio, another amazing artist called AM. You also look after some producers as well and some writers. Sure. Yeah, yeah. One producer, Maestro. Yeah. I know Maestro very well. You know Maestro. If yeah. I, yeah, no, very well. Very yeah, talented, very super, super guy. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. So just so we start, tell us a little bit about your journey to getting to where you are today. Like, how did you start out in music and how did you start in this path to becoming a manager? Sure. Um, so I would kind of used to make music, like produce music. I used to be in a gospel choir for a bit, which is quite weird. Maybe. <laughs> no, that gives you uh, a sense of musicality. Yeah. You're, you're somebody who made so, and performed music, doesn't just manage it, if that makes sense. No, I think that's yeah, quite yeah. important. I mean, yeah, it's, it's like a, it's a good experience, I guess, or a good platform. But yeah, I used to like, um, like kind of make beats and things like that. And then um, I went to music college um, for like a conservatoire, um, studying music production, Leeds College of Music. Um, and then when I left... I just got this opportunity. I never had a plan to do that, but I got opportunity to do an internship at One Little Indian um, in their digital department. Um, And I did that and just, I kind of picked it up quite quickly and and coding and things like that I picked up. Um, And then I kind of parked that and went off to be like an engineer, a studio engineer. And I was like doing that, recording engineering, mixing and stuff like that. I did that for about a year. maybe maybe two years actually um and then I went I thought you know what this is just not me being cramped in a room for hours on end I find it fascinating all of the stuff but it's not really me to be cramped up like this in one room so 
I thought, let me get back into the label world and see what see what happens. So I went back to One Little Indian as an assistant um, and then stayed there for a bit and then did a couple of other things and then joined Virginia and my records um, as an intern and then worked my way up. So, um, and then started managing whilst I was at Virgin. Um, and then, yeah, the management kind of took me full time eventually. So at what point, of, obviously you were working at Virgin and were you in marketing, were you in A&R? I was in digital you? marketing. You were in digital yeah. marketing. And at what point did you, which a lot of people who manage do do they have to have a, another job another side hustle because management mm. doesn't start paying the bills unless you know randomly Ed Sheeran comes to you one day and says he wants you as his full-time manager yeah, yeah, you have yeah. to start from the ground up as you know so what was that what point was it when you thought right I can leave Virgin now and I can do this full-time sure I mean probably you know since I started managing quite soon after I started managing my client Dio had a big situation so you know, I, I I saw that as a exit strategy, but it wasn't it wasn't a bona fide exit strategy because even though it's a big situation, um, it takes a lot, as you say, to leave and have the security to leave um, financially. You know, so I started I started thinking I was managing Dio for about a year or so, maybe a bit more before I left Virgin. So I was always planning and kind of saving and and stuff like that, but. Um, but I was I was heading towards that, and I was quite open with the people I worked for, and they knew, so they they were fine with it. They were like, as long as you perform here, then there's no issues, and then when the time is right, you just let us know, and we'll keep communicating. So yeah, I was I was preparing for it for a fair bit of time, and it took other things like I had to I did reading, I did journaling to find out like when the time was right and why I was doing things. Was I doing it for a dream, a cavalier kind of like thing? Or was I doing it for the right reasons? You know, so yeah, it took a bit of um, planning and thought, but I did it at the right time. I pretty much know I did it at the right time. That's quite interesting. You yeah. said you did like journey, journaling and planning. Are they like, so you were quite like introspective, I suppose, when you were yeah. looking, you looked inside. A lot of people I think can take the jump, jump because they think they see success, but it was it's, that's a really interesting tool that you seem to have had where you actually took the time to to look more wholly at the situation, I suppose. Definitely. I read this book, um, it was about minimalism and I'm not like one to take on an idea like that. I think there's loads of ideas that are helpful, but I just read it because I watched something on Netflix and it was by them and they were promoting that book. So I thought, let me just check out what this book is. And it was just, it was essentially a memoir from a person that left their high paying job um, to like live a simpler life. And whilst that wasn't a parallel to my my kind of situation, I was just thinking, there's something here and I want to write something. I like writing as well. I don't write enough, but I like writing. So I just thought, let me write my truth after reading it. And I wrote it and then I thought, let me make a balanced argument again for staying. Because I w after seeing that, you're like, let me put schools out. Like, let me throw, my, you know, <laughs> yeah. throw all my um, books up and just Quit run tomorrow, away. tomorrow, just walk yeah, out. <laughs> I'm going to live that free life, all that stuff. So <laughs> yeah. I thought, let me argue strongly towards the idea of staying. Let me try and formulate the argument. Try and make it balanced, but focus more towards there because maybe have a bias towards leaving. Um and then the only things that really came up for me were things that the real me doesn't care about. And they were like things like status. There were things like getting invited to parties. There were things like just just things that 
I was like, and then like, you know, yeah, I guess those were the really two main things that I can pick out of my head right now. There, there must have been other things, but really, and maybe the people as well, I would miss them. But that's part of life too. You've got to be able to let go. So yeah, I think that when you see it on paper, even when after I handed in my notice, if I'd have a wobbler, I could just read through it. It's quite extensive as well. So <laughs> it just put my mind at rest. So I think I, I always recommend that to people when they're thinking about a big decision because that was probably one of the biggest decisions I've ever made. So Can you share the name of the book? Yeah, um, it's called Everything That Remains. That's Everything what it's That Remains. Yeah. Okay, interesting. I might check that one out. Yeah, That's it's a good, good one. Yeah, yeah. So it's easy to read. You handed your notice in and you were ready to go on your own. Is it, am I right in thinking that the big thing that happened to Dio was sexual? The naked, yeah, the and her naked, pub- naked track. Yeah, yeah. And, and her publishing deal. Like, the sexual was a big thing for her, but also just because Dio is such an amazing writer and has been for a long time. So it's just, I say, sexual was the kind of just the little flag that made people say, yeah, we we got to go in and get... I think a lot of publishers were surprised she was unpublished. I think a lot of publishers were on that thing. And I think, yeah, so I would say, yeah, her publishing deal was the was the big thing that happened for her because then she had the support of, of a publisher and also, like, the clout, you know, and sexual, yeah, of course, gave her the clout as well, the record, but just to say I'm here now and I, I'm I'm part of the club. And that was her vocal on it as well. Also her vocal on it, yeah, as well. And that that's another dimension to it, yeah, her vocals... Like I've known about Dio since the engineering days, and like you know, I always thought, what a voice! Like we, people knew she could write and stuff, but and and now I get to see a lot of stuff that other people don't get to see, like and hear, and she has amazing songs. But but the voice is just it's something else, something out of this world. So I think, um, yeah, to see it realized in a in a way that I think a lot of people talk about. And still just that it was it was the I don't think someone else could have executed it in that way. And I, you can say that very easily and romantically, but I believe it. So I think yeah, to have a moment like that, it's a you don't get a lot of those, I guess, in in, in life. So it's good for her in that sense. Like, How did it get from the massive track that that sexual track was to ending up being part of the the equal well even bigger maroon five and scissor track because obviously it's is it a sample or is it a direct how did that come about um it's not a sample but um it's an interpolation as, as yeah, they say I, we struggled yeah. to say that word yeah. i don't know if word. i said it like, right inter- interpol- interpol- um i think it was jason evigan i hope i have that right it is jason evigan, I think. <laughs> jason evigan and scissor that kind of made it together no it wasn't it was Stara it was Jason Jason Evergreen and Stara together they were in the studio and they made it um and took inspiration from sexual and and Jason Jason Evergreen had previously that you know shown the love for that song and I think they were inspired by it so after it was made we got a call saying this is what's happened let's talk you know publishing and stuff like that um and yeah, that was kind of it. Amazing. Yeah. And then she went on to win a, a B- BMI award for Yeah, it exactly. Well, Some amazing incredible. things have happened or still happening from that, like in terms of notoriety and stuff. And you know what? We, when everyone, when all the hype was happening around sexual, I think a lot of people thought 
that that would go to the US and it would be like massive and I think you know Republic were involved as well and and I think you know maybe in retrospect I'm not no expert but I've seen a couple of things working at Virgin and stuff and I think that the radio market out there is so um focused on what they are about like it's very join the club like the sound has to work it's quite an outlandish song and maybe in retrospect that wasn't maybe ever going to happen in a sense I don't know like it's, it's very very um you don't see oddballs in in their chart that often you know um so that didn't happen and I think that this was a way of that that being realized you know so that's a good thing obviously we would have liked it if sexual did did the business out there but but um but you can't have everything um and yeah that that was kind of so she is a, a phenomenal song, songwriter in her own right now she's very successful but she's now well she was an artist before from what i understand she was miss d of course and yeah. then that, and she was you know well known and was on records with chipmunk i think yeah. and people like that and then obviously <laughs> she came away slightly and became a songwriter and she did do a release i think you said a few years ago before you started managing her but it didn't do what she wanted it to do so she came back and what was the point where she had a conversation with you where she said right i'm, I'm writing for everyone else i'm ready to do my artist thing again now um i think when we started talking it was always with the artist focus and my background was working with artists recording artists so i think um that was always the basis that we started chatting on and obviously after sexual happened there were conversations from labels that wanted to do an artist thing but there was also a lot of conversation as a writer because you know there was there was a big song that she she co-wrote and um you know had had a lot of input on so i think um it kind of fell into writing when really when we were kind of being left to our own devices when the hype wasn't so high the focus was around setting up an artist project and we were exploring sounds at that time. So I think um, it kind of was always on the agenda, but I think it's, it's taken time for her to craft a sound. And we've been through maybe three incarnations of, of a project, four maybe, um, and then gone back to the drawing board. And I think that that's a real process, especially for a songwriter, because a songwriter is a chameleon. And and realistically, someone that comes from wearing so many hats, you you have to find, you have to go through a few hats. <laughs> you have to go through them. So I think that's what she did. And she didn't rush out with the first one she found. And that was important. And, and I think she she's reaping the rewards now of having waited because I think that the project that we're we're started we've started now and we have to come, I think is genuinely her, and is has a has a real like integrity and authenticity to it, where it's not not pretending not just because just because you can doesn't mean you should you know and she can do a lot of things so I think she's found the thing that she should be doing. So I've met Dio and she seems she's just amazing and very down to earth and lovely. But I have spoken to a few other music managers who said that. Too shower and nameless that 
one of their biggest fears when they manage writers is that they suddenly want to do the artist thing because there's an expectation there, especially if they're a very successful writer, that they will replicate that in the in the artist realm. How do you and Dio have those conversations where you manage expectations because she's not naive, she's been in the industry a long time and she's had success and she's not, so she knows how it works. But how as a manager do you protect her and make sure that she has, you know access to things she needs to do but again in a way also manage expectations of what the project will do and where they want where you want it to go yeah no that is a really big challenge um for anyone and and that's not the marker of the the person that the client that's natural if you are quite you're at a decent status in in a profession to then jump in the same world to something else and not have that status, that's gonna be hard, that's gonna be challenging, of course. It would be challenging for me, it would be challenging for anyone else, you know? So I think it's understandable that that's a challenge for artists that have been successful songwriters and are successful songwriters. But yeah, from my perspective, I have to just be honest and open about that. I have a lot of experience working with a lot of artists because of my because of having worked at Virgin. So I've seen a lot of things that work and don't work. So I can be honest and kind of lay that out and say, and also be honest about what success is. So if you get not that many streams on your first record, but you get a few more on your second record and you keep on releasing records and they're all good and they all have an um, authentic strand, that's better than you getting 10 million on your first one and then falling off. Like a, a great business just shows growth on year on year. And that's, that's, that's just, you know, I love watching Dragon's Den. If you look at my YouTube <laughs> recommended, it's all yeah. about Dragon's Den. But this is this is what music needs to learn like it's about growth year on year so as long as all those honest conversations and what is success is being had and also one thing that I think can be a challenge is when you know your your songwriters go into sessions with with other um, people like songwriters and producers and then they're hearing their their truths from their management that that might not be it's, it's so much stuff that is if you're you're battling that then comes in and and I'm just like and I'm like that that's not really true and it doesn't really work like that and and you have to then but you have to just keep on realigning and and kind of and sometimes she might say something that I'm like actually no yeah you're you're right we could do that or so it, it works both ways but I think um yeah it's just about realigning and reminding that this is this is okay and and sometimes it's not okay and then we deal with that but yeah so let's cross over now a bit to uh, am who you look after who was an artist from the start sure. so how did you come across him how did that relationship start did sure. you have to did you find him and have to sort of woo him to let you manage him or was it quite a natural thing how did you become involved uh so i actually f- i actually found come across him through um jay weathers who you work with um but yeah so and he's also Dyer's partner. So, yeah, he, he, he kind of had a track. And then I, I loved that track, Cola. Like, I don't yeah, you know it. So, and the vocal was really pitched high on it. So I, I didn't really know where that vocal had come from. I didn't know what it was. And I never really thought about it. I just thought, this is just great as a, as a whole. Um, and then at one point, I just, this is months later, I just thought, who is that? Who is that? 
person or what what is that sound and he goes it's just some kid that that is like he's quite talented and then I was like well what are you doing and try me <laughs> and then I was like I love how producers and writers just keep things on the slide yeah. like, oh, I was just some kid from down down the road and it's like he's amazing what are you doing yeah, like, but he knew he, to be fair he knew yeah. he was talented yeah. enough, of course but yeah. it's just I was just like yeah, I was being cheeky. I was, you yeah. know, I was being cheeky about why have you introduced me? But he was like, yeah, cool. Like, if you want to intro, and he did it, and and then we got talking, and then yeah, it just kind of went from there. But yeah, I mean, I just when I heard his kind of like um, what he was coming up with, it was so, it just spoke to me honestly. Like, it really spoke to me in the same way that what Dio does speaks to me. Like. It spoke to me and it made me have conviction that there's a lot of conversations that I've had since managing Dio and before AM where I've I've chosen to, you know, not not go not forward with that. that. Yeah. And and I'd see a lot of managers with a lot of big rosters and I think maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing here. Maybe I've got comfortable. Maybe, do you know what I mean? All, all these things race through your head. But um, when I met him, and I was like, this is what, there's no question in my mind that I want to work with him. And that's what I need to be doing. So it informed me for the for future clients to have that conviction, which I think is important because then you get the best result for both me and the client. So, yeah. So you obviously met AM, you had that conversation, you manage him, you've put out some really incredible tracks. And from what I can see from the streams, it's doing very well, it's very healthy. He's doing it independently as much as I understand. Yeah. Have you had labels approach you now? Have you started to have those conversations? And obviously you might not want to say, you might be in talks with somebody, but has there been points where you've thought, no, do you know what? We're going to keep doing it independently. It works for us now. For sure. I, I think um, we, we've had conversations and, you know, I think labels these days are so proactive as well. They'll, they'll definitely, you know, they're really um, are quick on things now, I think. Um but yeah, we've had conversations and some conversations ongoing and we keep good relationships with, with a few people. But, you know, I think the aim for him is because he has a team around him that can can kind of do it for now, is to just tick all the boxes that I believe an artist should, that has that team around him and that has that ability. So I think um, we kind of want to take it forward because really we haven't, there's, there's still some boxes to tick for him, you know, and, and we've kind of done a chapter or two, but there's a few more that we want to kind of see off. And I think once we do, then we can get the kind of deal that we want as well. Like, so I think, um, you know, we'd like to do a partnership with someone and I think that that needs to make sense and that needs to come at the right time for both parties so we can get the most out of it and they can get the most out of it. So I think um, we're... That is 100%, you know, the end game to get, you know, we don't want to necessarily do it all by ourselves forever because I think that big companies have a have a place for an artist. Everything is case by case, but I think for someone like AM, I think they do. But, um, but yeah, it just takes time, I think, and that's, that's what we're trying to do, take our time. What do you think the, your, the toughest thing you have to do as a manager is? Um... I, I would say be always on and and you have to it's it's hard to set boundaries when 
you kind of do a job which you can't have as many boundaries. Um, so, and and it depends. Like I think maybe with more songwriters and 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 producers, you can set more boundaries because they tend to be type of people that that want their boundaries as well. Um, not all the time, but but on the whole, I would say in my experience. But I think um, when it comes to artists, they're always like bank holiday. Forget about it. What, what are you talking about, bank holiday? Sunday, unless they're doing something, you're, do you know what I mean? Like, so it, it's it's it can be hard, but it's kind of part of the job. And I think, I think I think it's all up. It's it's up to the individual, the manager, me, to kind of navigate that. And I and and it, it's possible for sure, but it's just it's a challenge. How do you look after? One of the things that we talk about in the podcast, and it's one of the reasons we sort of started it, was we wanted to talk more openly about mental health mm. in management because there's two strands of it. There's the mental health of the artists and producers and writers and your roster you're looking after. You need to look out for them as a manager, make sure they're not stressed, make sure that they can, you know, make do the best of their the work the best they can. So there's that element, but there's also the element of you personally as well, like you said, about boundaries and making sure that you don't feel run down and overworked and stressed and, and therefore aren't performing for the, to the best of your abilities as a manager. Mm. How do you balance those two things and manage them? Do you have any techniques or tools or things you do? I think I see them as two separate things. And I've, uh, and I say, if we start with the artist, the artist, you have to be mindful of their mental state. And you cannot, like, this is my principle, you cannot get into a situation where you're lying in your pockets with their pain. You know what I mean? You can't do that. And so you have to be mindful of that. That also is is a thing in management, which you have to have, which is knowledge on things that you'd never thought you'd need. Like, you know, you never would have thought you need knowledge on. So I kind of like, I think I have a little bit of knowledge on mental health. Like, not I'm no expert, but I have a little bit and I try to read on it when I can. And I don't I don't just do that for myself. I do that for the people around me and my clients are one of the most important people around me. So I I think about that. And if I see something heading towards something else, you know, I'll if they need to take a month holiday, like then I'll just say, go do it because I can understand and there's there's so many things that um so many factors that come into that and all the fears about oh will this will this run out will this happen but you got to see you got to see um 12 months down the line as well and you got to see what this is going to what impact this is going to do and and uh, yeah so i think you have to um be aware and mindful that's the key thing i think with with looking after an artist's mental health or supporting them in looking at themselves, looking after themselves, you know? So, um, and talk to them. Talking is important. It's sometimes, especially when you're so committed to your craft, you might not even have like that many, you might not talk to your friends so much. So, you know, the, the least I can do is, is talk to them and, and just, just listen, you know what I mean? And then it can, they can find their way. And that. yourself and myself, um, I think, I think, I think you just got to, um, you've got to place the control within yourself. So, the thing I've been kind of researching on is locus of control. So, 
You know, like how you have people that might complain about every aspect of their job if they have like a really bad job or something and they're like, oh, <laughs> and this person's doing this to me, blah, 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 and they'll just go on about it. Yeah. And that's an extreme example. But I think we've all been guilty of doing that at some point. Yeah. And I, th- I think um, when, you real- when you take it into an aspect of this is all my doing, and not in a way that, oh, I've, died, I've messed up or something. But it's like everything that I do is a, is a kind of like, it has a repercussion that leads me to be where I am. So in terms of if I don't have enough time, well, I can control that. I can do that through boundaries maybe, like setting those and maybe keeping my schedule more healthy. It's, there's always a way. And as long as you assume that control, then, then that's cool. If, you, if, if deals aren't going your way, well, maybe, maybe your negotiation isn't, isn't like where it needs to be. And maybe you can research about that. I think it's taking control of, of the task is important. And I think that that's where you can cope with a lot of things through doing that. Yeah. Is there any decision, big or small, that you would change now if you look back on, on your journey so far in management? Sure. Um, I, I think there's loads of big and small ones and I can't really pick out loads. So I think it's just you've got, a, you've got to take whatever they are, you've got to take them on board and learn from them because that's actually how you get beaten into shape, essentially. Um, but yeah, there's so many like... I might even have one daily, you know, like small ones, big ones, big ones less often, obviously. But but yeah, it's just you, you have them all the time. And I think if I didn't have them, then I wouldn't be moving and, and my clients wouldn't be seeing the benefit. You need to, everyone has the decisions that don't go your way but I don't have a particular one I can't really think of a particular one yeah I think people always say as well as somebody said to me today if you're not make, if you're not regretting things and you're not making mistakes then you're not learning and you're actually not moving forward no you're not because every time you've there's that, that's that sort of analogy that every time you cut something it heals but it heals differently it never heals exactly the same yeah. so that's a different stronger part of a web you've made which I thought was really interesting yeah. looking back now and your sort of experience so far what advice would you give a young manager starting out now? What would you say, or what would you have liked in place when you were a sort of fledging manager starting out? What do you think the management community as a whole could do better to support all all the managers out there? I think um, a young manager, and I'm not, I'm not old, but... The, <laughs> no, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> Sorry, I was calling... <laughs> no, no, no. no. I, I, I don't, don't get me no. wrong, I'm joking. I, but I mean, you are, you are a manager with, with a reasonable amount of success. Of course, yeah, I was pulling your leg yeah. there. <laughs> no, so essentially, I think that the key thing is, because this, is, this happened to me and it wasn't purposeful, I learned about so many things before I got into management. I learned about, um, you know, mixing, mastering... And I did like a lot of these things for an extended amount of time, like in the real world, not just studying it. And then also things like, you know, Photoshop, After Effects, um, things like coding, you know, like all these things you're learning. And then once you've learned a few of those, then when you start to even learn about things whilst you started managing, you're learning them, you've learned the primary colors of learning. So I think um, that would be crucial. Do not just think that this thing lives in the music world and within music publications and this and that. Like it's 
it's everything. If you don't know what grading is, then you better find out and maybe find out deeper than that. Maybe find out what highlights are, lowlights are, things like that really a grader would talk about and find it all out because that's what management in 2019 is. So I think the earlier you find all these things out, the more of an asset you are to a to an artist and I think become an asset to that artist and that's how you do it through loads of knowledge and I also think that it's the responsibility in, in uh, you had another part of your question where you're like what can people do to support yeah. um, young managers and I think that it's really important to empower these young kids and not to sit on a pedestal and be like you know I think someone said this and I can't remember who it was, but basically the idea that everyone forgets that someone helped them and that multiple people help them when they make it. And it's kind of maybe because they feel like they've worked really hard, which they probably have, but it's hard. And, and you didn't get there by just doing it yourself and that's it. And I think the more that you can even subliminally give someone the idea that you are a magician, I'm not a magician, I just, I just, I'm very committed to what I do and I've taken my task seriously. And if someone else does that, that's what will happen as well. So I think if, if we, if I as a manager and even someone that, you know, there's loads of levels above me as well. And if they always act like, you know, I'm the magician, I'm like, do you know what I mean? Darren Brown, I'm this, that, the other, then it's, it's not helpful. And it, it just makes people think that I can't, obtain that and and that's why we champion diversity in music as well and diversity in management management roles as well because they can open doors for people and they feel like that's a door I can walk through so that's important I think and just to end what do you think what is the best piece of advice anybody's ever given you and this could be related to management it could just be in life is there always one piece of advice that you think and you think that's a good line or that's a good piece of advice um I don't know if it's the best piece of advice, but I always remember this, yeah. Um, someone, I went to this party with one of my good friends in the music industry and we were, we were chatting and, and before that she'd tell me like she's having problems with our artists. She's a, she was a label manager somewhere and she was basically that like, she's having problem with artists wanting to take control, um, but maybe they don't know what they're doing so much and they needed to listen. You've heard that story many times, I'm sure. And um, so we went to this party and that story was, you know, we discussed it. Then we meet one of her friends that I knew about, but I, I'd never met. And she goes, um, you know, she was talking about it. And then he was like, yeah, you know, when an artist artists really know artists should know how to drive the car like now like they should know what they're doing and they should know how to drive the car and then um my my friend she goes well what do you do when the artist doesn't know how to drive a car and then she was like and then he was like well they better know how to hail a taxi <laughs> and, and, and that and that was like it, it just it was so poetic that I just realized that that is a thing in life. Like you have to be able to um, find where you don't have the knowledge because that's what I basically deduce from that. And that's how I try to manage things is that where's the gap? Where do I not understand? What The most valuable bit of knowledge I can have is what I don't know. And if you do that and working with people like, um, working with people like, you know, Ted Cockle or things like that at Virgin, I think... One thing that I always recognise in them, they always wanted to learn and they were like really high up. And 
and it's just that thirst for knowing and wanting to plug gaps where you don't know stuff and that's what you need to be to be a 360 degree experience as a manager yeah (laughs) or you know maybe you're 270 and then you need to find another 60 but 90 oh my god quick maths maths. yeah (laughs) quick maths (laughs) <laughs> leave that in there yeah we'll keep that it's alright yeah it's yeah. good thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today Danny cool, I really appreciate you. it that's fun and um, yeah good luck with everything good luck with Dio AM Maestro and I'm sure I'll see you very soon see you bye, bye. So this interview felt a bit like therapy for me, if I'm going to be honest, Ali. I was just so taken aback about the way Danny approaches management. He seems to have this brain that really looks at himself and his approach from, I suppose, almost a real self-aware point of view. He talked about making a list after reading that book about minimalism, about the pros and cons of leaving Virgin. He really seems to just look inside and work out what makes him tick. Yeah, absolutely. And I loved when he was talking about journaling and really making seriously balanced decisions, weighing up all the pros and the cons in a very quite cool and calculated way. I also loved when he was talking about it's not necessarily about getting 10 million streams on that first song. If you can show year-on-year growth, that's what all good businesses have. And it was just so level-headed and such a smart approach. Yeah, definitely. And I think that thing about him saying being honest about what success is, yeah. so that was a really interesting point. Um, and that really good antidote at the end where he said you know you need to know how to drive the car and if you don't you need to know how to hail a cab because he was saying how artists need to like it's 2019 you've got to you've got to know more than just the music you've got to you've got to be so much more wiser to what is going on and that applies to managers as well as artists and he was always talking about plugging that knowledge gap figuring out what you don't know and trying to learn it and I think like I said I came away from that interview with Danny and I was like right what do I need to learn what do I not feel so confident in the music industry what do I feel like I want to know more about so just brilliant i recommend everyone go and have a session with danny you could be a therapist <laughs> all about that education <laughs> right so thank you once again for listening to how did you manage that uh, you can give us a shout on instagram or twitter the handles are just at manage that pod we would love it if you could shout about what we're doing with the podcast and if you're feeling really generous leaving a little review and a rating on apple podcasts would be extra nice And as always, shout out to the MMF, that's the Music Managers Forum, who have helped us put this podcast together and have just been an amazing team to be involved with. Also, our sponsors, AWOL, check them out online. They are an amazing distribution service for artists. We will be back in two weeks' time in your feed with another episode. So if you haven't already, hit subscribe and we will see you then. Oh, and one more thing, Ali, we forgot to say. We are doing an episode at the end of this series with just me and Ali. Yeah, I know. It's not going to be as boring as you think it is. But it's going to be us debriefing, going through all the episodes, talking about what we've learned from the managers and maybe even a few clips of things you didn't hear before. So if you have any questions, anything you want to ask, anything you want to know about, please just drop us a note on the socials. Nice one. See you next time. See ya. How Did You Manage That is brought to you by the MMF and sponsored by AWOL. The podcast is produced and hosted by Sophie Pallock and Ali McRae. Original music by Callum Wiseman.